I finish by saying that we've got to get a hold of the fact that when it comes to time, it's the work, the atoning work of Jesus Christ that has rearranged our view of time. Will not perish, remember? The tyranny of time is powerless to overcome us, but have everlasting life. We're living on an eternal timeline. Salvation changes our relationship to time and our experience of time. And all would be lost if our Lord Jesus Christ had not entered time. We often put the emphasis on his humanity becoming subject to humanity. But by virtue of that, he was subject to time in this order of things. But supremely through his resurrection, he broke the power of time to destroy us by destroying death itself. Okay, I've got 10 minutes to do another thing. Okay. Okay, turn to the person next to you, tell, you when the corp tell them where the corporate prayer meeting is. Okay. Well, they want to take out their phone. Sunday, December 8th. Four o'clock. <laughs> and if you don't show up, don't show up, Ben is personally calling you to a night of prayer on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Someone said that yesterday was a council check, tomorrow was a promissory note, and today was all the cash we have. So the question arises, how do we spend it? How do we avoid counting the days and instead focus on making the days count? This is the concern of Ephesians 5.15, when it talks about redeeming the time. This is not just keeping our eyes on the watch, it's about watching and discerning as Christians what is happening around us. If Romans 13, 11, uh, in, in Romans 13, 11 terms, if you commit to, quote, understanding the present time, you will have a constant and consistent motivation to redeem present time. Because as the text goes on to say, you will be discerning present tense. That the night is nearly over, the day is almost here, and as a result of that discernment, you will put aside the deeds of darkness. In other words, as I said this morning, consistent with New Testament teaching on how we relate to time is the prayer for holiness. And nobody ever mentions time. If we are perceiving time right, it's a fantastic motivation for holiness. All those in favor say aye. 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 Aye for holiness. 
Now, note again what I alluded to this morning. Let me say it again. Time. An understanding of how we're called to steward time is a great incentive for righteousness. And when you look at these texts, they are so intense. Wake up. Be careful. Live your life according to the right discernment of the times. And this theme is repeated in epistle after epistle. Uh, one epistle I haven't... Boy, don't say epistle too many times. It really doesn't... <laughs> you get into real trouble there. Uh, <laughs> um, 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, brothers, sisters, about time... This is classic Paul. About times and dates we do not need to write to you. And, of course, what does he go on immediately to do? Talk about time. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So let's not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. You notice that again. Again, the issue of an appeal to holiness. Procrastination and delay are among the biggest enemies of obedience. Have you found that in your life? That procrastination is often just disobedience camouflaged. Interesting, remember that little uh, incident in Acts 24, 25, where it says, as Paul talked about righteousness, he's talking about holiness again here, self-control. Oh, and he threw an added judgment to come, by the way. Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. Some more convenient time. The delay that we put, the breaks that we put on the timing of the Lord. Now, let's just agree together quickly that up front, that redeeming the time has nothing to do with driving 60 miles an hour in a 30-mile-an-hour zone. Um, it's not about getting a face job uh, or a hair transplant to make you look younger. You, I'm afraid you can't put the clock back on that. The word for redeeming used here by Paul in Ephesians means to purchase out, to buy back. It's the word that's used of buying a slave and freeing him. Without Christ, you could say that we are slaves to time. In particular, to the power, ultimate power of time over us that we talked about this morning, that is our death. Time's apparent ultimate victory that ends our time. And uh, we quoted Hebrews 2.15, telling us that the redeeming work of Christ was, quote, to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Now, the idea here in Ephesians is that of redeeming time or literally buying it back, buying it up, rescuing it from potential loss, seizing opportunity amidst opposition. No connection here with money in the buying. What do we in fact spend to buy time here? We spend our obedience to Christ, our holy zeal, our commitment to serve him and to do his will come what may. The Christian is presented here in this image as a merchant in the commodity of time. It's the idea of a bargain hunter going into the marketplace in the early morning at the beginning of another day and grabbing all the time that's available, ransoming it from the potential bondage of evil and evil use, rescuing it from wasteful purposes or from becoming the currency of anyone else or anything else but the Lord and his purposes. Now, as you know, you investors, 
any commodity is desirable in proportion to the returns it can secure for the owner. And as Christians, we know that these returns are not temporary. There is, in fact, you know, eat your heart out, Wall Street. There is an everlasting ROI. And the returns, of course, are not material, but transcendent. So the idea in the text is not a negative, just as in, as in don't waste time. It's positive. It's proactively seizing the opportunity. One old saint put it like this. In all these purchasings, everything goes to the early buyer. To be first in the market must be our constant aim. Let us regard every moment as precious treasure. And before the enemy of our souls can lay his hand upon it, let us be up and buy it for the Lord. What a great way to start a day. Another day. And I'll buy up the time, Lord, for you today. We're going we're gonna to experience the redeeming of time today. Against the odds, by the way, for all of us, yeah? Against the, There is nothing out there that is cooperating. So why does time need to be redeemed? For the reasons that Paul gives to the Romans, Ephesians, and Thessalonians. Um, I have no idea of the time, and I am, how many? 50 minutes. Thank you so much. <laughs> Why? Because Paul, to all these churches, they say it's a precious commodity. Why? Because the days are evil, because the opportunity for good and doing good is declining, because the availability of time to live and serve God is diminishing, and because the day of reckoning is coming. So why is it precious? Let me just throw out some reasons. Uh, simple. One, because of its intrinsic one-time only value every moment. Number two, because there are precious eternal consequences. Uh, the truism is right. That's why it's a truism. You can't kill time without injuring eternity. Our eternal destiny and welfare relate to our stewardship of time. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and receive what is due for the things done with our time, i.e. while in the body. Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And what we're going to discover is nothing ever was done on our time. It was always God's time that we were stewarding for good or for bad. And thus we're accountable for our time. Number three, because it's short. And the psalmist, as you know, describes it more than once as fleeting and flying. Paul is, you know, saying, you know, it's short, it's short, it's short. And like any commodity, its rarity and brevity enhance its value. And scripture is also, though, full of images that present this fragile reality to us. I mean, here, like withering grass, falling flowers, a mist that vanishes, a watch in the night, a dream, a vapor, a handbreadth, a phantom, swifter than a runner, as short as an eagle's swoop, a cloud, or in the words of the psalmist in one place, as nothing before you. We are uncertain of our time's continuance. I shared with you this morning, I mean, this is much on my mind, so thank you for listening into my own problems. As I enter my 70th year, three score years and ten, 
I'm not even guaranteed, but I'm thanking the Lord that I'm getting closer to it. But the fact of its shortness does provoke many things for a Christian. It should provoke cool affections to wilderness. It should provoke timely repentance in order to keep short accounts with the Lord. It should provoke humility. It should provoke such a valuing of grace. Number four, precious, because it, it cannot be recovered when it is past. It can't be guaranteed and it can't be recovered. There isn't one of us that hasn't said at some point things like, if I could go back in time, or I wish I could do that over again, or if only I had a second chance, or I want to relive it, or can we put the clock back? Number five, because it's not our own. It is a gift for the sole purpose of serving the purposes of God. Wasting the gift of time insults the giver of time. Number six, because the days are evil. Paul acknowledged that there were challenges to a godly use of time. Don't we all know it? Limitations, temptations, distractions, plenty of invitations to a wasted life. Romans 12, 21, by the way, it's a wonderful example. Overcoming evil with good is a means to redeem time. The point is, given the direction and current of culture, we need to be proactive, I believe, against the tide of time. Number seven. Because we need to protect the preciousness of time because there are enemies that oppose our stewardship of time. There are enemies. It's just... Okay. I'd like you to spend more time on that, but I can't be any more gracious and give you more of my time, so so shut up now. I don't care about your problems. <laughs> let me let me just throw out some. Now look, this is not meant to be depressing. <laughs> what? what is encouraging is that there's nothing we're mentioning as enmity let me throw out some say yeah if you agree or if you I said that okay and we haven't got time to clap you but we'll just we'll know, we'll know okay Here's a pretty obvious one that repeats the past, cripples the present, and destroys future hope. Procrastination. I've decided the most popular charismatic tongue is manana, manana, manana. Manana, manana, manana. And again, says the Lord, manana. Delay, avoidance. 
Frankly, in discipline, the failure of discipleship and intimacy with Jesus, who, by the way, in John 9, 4 said he worked as long as it was day. Idleness and sloth. You understand why sloth is one of the seven deadly sins. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Oh, inconvenience, the Felix issue. No time, not the time, not a good time. Indecision, serial incompletions, self-consumption, because time's actually just too filled with other things. Anxiety is a time killer. Arrogance, frankly. Do not boast about tomorrow. Proverbs 27, James 4. You boast and brag, all such boasting about tomorrow is evil. That's pretty strong language. Cult of pleasure. Pleasure pursuits. Leisure. I'm for pleasure and I'm for leisure. But it's the dominance of that as a cultural DNA. Work as idolatry. Workaholism. But, uh, by the way, just as an aside, it's very interesting. You know, we stress our physicality. So, if somebody is out of whack in one expression of physicality, like work, we usually find that out of whack in, in other expressions of physicality. So the whole work issue and the sexuality issues are very much. Uh, very much linked. Um, sheer greed and covetousness, boy, that's a thing that will destroy time. Fantasy. All addictions. All addictions. It's, it's amazing the time they consume. Again, I mentioned the pornography one this morning. It's just, it, it's terrifying the time these things consume. Uh, wilderness, retaining unforgiveness. That's, that just really messes up the stewardship of time in terms of its incursions. Asserting our own will because it's our time spent our way. Majoring on minors. Unresolved, unnursed regrets. We sang about that tonight, which really links with why we need a restored past. Let me, let me just mention one more. I wish there was time to, to, to deal with this. Impatience. Patience, I said this morning, is one of the great spiritual fruits that vehemently, strongly, powerfully opposes the enmity of time against the will of God. It's just not for spineless, nice people. And when you think about how impatience interferes with our godly stewardship of time, you realize why patience has to be such a, a strong spiritual power. Um, oh, okay, just for, for another couple of minutes. be disrupted and destroyed. I mean, I mean, consequences of impatience. 
I hope you don't encounter these on the drive home on 81 or 66. Loss of self-control, anger with self and others, accusatory fault-finding, blame-shifting, dissatisfaction, discontent, drivenness. It was Henry Nouwen who described patience as the important qualifier of ambition, affording protection from drivenness. Self-delusion about capacities and capabilities, sense of entitlement, insensitivity, impulsiveness, impetuosity, being strong-willed, irritation, agitation, frustration, bitterness, resentment, stress, and tension that often leads to wrong snap decisions in time, pessimism, a strong sense of personal rights, oh, perfectionism, self-serving views of excellence, becoming one of the throwaway generation, so we discard and sacrifice friends, in our impatience we leave a church for the immediate emotional returns, and sometimes completely fake spiritual returns, being easily offended, making big crises out of little creases, ingratitude, arrogance, independence, complaint, grumbling, and of course the medics now tell us, give us all the woes about what happens to the, the human body, we know what happens to the spirit, when our relationship with time is dominated by these upsets. I don't know how you show impatience, shallow breathing, Muscle tension, clenching hands and fingers, banging or hitting something or someone, rolling the eyes, tapping and jiggling the feet, throwing the head back, the audible sighing, tut-tutting, all our involuntary reflex twitches, eating and talking quickly. I don't know what you do best, but we just know this terrible outage when we deal with things in time and happening in time and don't steward time holily. And impatience is expressed rather than that fruit of the spirit that is patience. It's very, very destructive. And of course, it's, it's just amazing how, how light we are on it. We can rationalize the whole thing. And of course, we're always justified, aren't we? It doesn't make for holy time. So let's wind this up. The Ephesians text is telling us how to live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of the time making the, in English it says making the most of the opportunity our word opportunity comes from the Latin of the truth which is interesting it's, it's, it's out of truth it describes a ship that was sitting waiting for the tide to arise so that it can go in and do its thing very very uh, interesting of course it, it took a great Englishman like Shakespeare to really know that um, he wrote, there is a tide in the affairs of men which taken at the flood leads on to fortune, omitted all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries. He's explaining this cruciality of knowing the moment. And I think one way we describe it as Christians, it's, it's, it's discerning, sometimes spiritually discerning what I would describe as, it's not my original phrase, but many of you, the prophetic timeliness of the word of the Lord. And discerning the will of the Lord, making the most of every opportunity, and discerning the will of the Lord. Redeeming the time for his sake, because we're living for him, for our sake, because we're understanding his will for our good, and for their sake. And here's what's fascinating to me, and again, I wish there was time to talk about it. But 
In context of talking about time, Paul doesn't, and Peter doesn't, which is this one. He starts to talk about fellowship, interesting, and family time. So Peter, for example, in the verse I quoted this morning, he starts to talk about the endless and the final time on the side, blah, 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 blah. He follows it about this westward. Love of change. Show us we go straight into the benefits of family time because you're awaiting God to lead time. To your past, God restoring it, to your present, God's redeeming it. And the fr- by the way, coming here, being like this, and I was thinking about it today, it's redeeming time. We're redeeming time by virtue of showing up and hanging out like this, aren't we? It's fantastic. Against all the other things. Oh, I don't even go to your church and I think it's fantastic. All right. (laughs) So family time like this is the evidence of redeeming time, which in turn is the evidence of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit within us. So the question simply raised is, with all this stuff, with all these enemies, with all the reasons time is precious, how are you redeeming the time? Where is time robbed, wasted, lost, surrendered, squandered? What is time spent on? What are you fearing or denying? What are the dominant objects of your focus and concern? What, in fact, for you, not anyone else, for you, do you believe the Lord is saying are the opportunities to be seized? None of this has to do with being manic. How do you make decisions about what you do with your time? Is Paul's advice to the Philippians important to you to live daily, asking for knowledge and discernment and approving what's excellent? What were the enemies of your time that you were speaking about that oppose the redeeming work of God? What are the fruits of impatience in your life that ruin a godly experience of time passing? What assurances of your hope are challenged because waiting time has become regarded as wasting of time for you? What reasons would you give to Peter as to why you have no time to show hospitality, serve others, or use your spiritual gifts? Jonathan Edwards said, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it the most profitable way I can. It's interesting that they lived in his house, he died in his house, David Brainerd. You ever saw David Brainerd? American missionary, 18th century. Mm-hmm. 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 He died at 79. It is his biggest son's book. It is never been out of print. And that book is read by Henry Marcus, William Charles, Adam Iron Justin, all of them hours of his young life praying not like he apparently seemed to do that much but that holy stewardship of time in his given life is still impacting and affecting 
the nations. And he said, oh, how precious is time. How guilty it makes me feel when I think I've trifled and misemployed it or neglected to fill up each part of it with duty to the utmost of my ability and capacity. Oh, that I might not loiter on my heavenly journey. Like I said, this is my problem. 70th year. Listen to over and over again. God 
will take up time with any man or woman who takes time to take up time with God. I don't want to burn out. I want to last out in time as long as possible for the service of God.